Acts 24 is where we're going to be, and so find your way there and stand with me if you would. Acts chapter 24. We've been in a series the past few weeks on personal responsibility. And so we'll read this text tonight and then look at a few thoughts the Lord might have for us. I want to begin our reading really in verse 1, give the context here. Paul had traveled back to Jerusalem, and those that loved him and knew him said, that's not a good idea, Paul, don't do that. Um, There are a lot of people that hate you there, they hate the message of Christ, this is nothing but trouble. In fact, as he was leaving, people were hanging on his neck, pleading him not to go. He went anyway. He said, this is where God's calling me. This is where I'm going. And so in Acts chapter 21, that's what he does. He gets to Jerusalem. He's there worshiping the Lord in the temple, not doing anything, just worshiping. And he's arrested. And the Jewish leaders, they incite a mob. And more, they're upset. and They're angry at him for the message that he had been preaching. And they're about to tear him apart. The Romans have to come in. They have to rescue him from the mob. They throw him in jail and he's going to go on trial. And so that's kind of where we pick up this story. And, and so here in verse 1 that says, And after five days Ananias the high priest descended with the elders, with a certain orator named Tertullius, who informed the governor against Paul. When he was called forth, Tertullius began to accuse him, saying, Seeing that by thee we enjoy great quietness, and that very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence, we accept it always in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. And this Felix, of course, would be the ruler in this circumstance. He said, Notwithstanding that I be not further tedious unto thee, I pray thee that thou wouldst hear us of thy clemency a few words. For we have found this man a pestilent fellow. (laughs) That's what they thought of Paul. And a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world. And a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. So he's basically saying this guy's a cult. He's a bad guy. He's causing all these problems. Verse 6 who also hath gone about to profane the temple, whom we took, and would have judged according to our law. But the chief captain Lysias came upon us, and with great violence took him away out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come unto thee, by examining of whom thyself mayst take knowledge of all these things, whereof we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, saying, These things were so. Verse 10. Then Paul, after that the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, answered, For as much as I know that thou hast been of many years a judge unto this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. Because that thou mayest understand that there are yet but twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem for to worship. And they neither found in me in the temple disputing with any man, neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogues, nor in the city. Neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me. This is all smoke and no fire. But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. And I have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. And I want to stop here. We're going to come back in verse 17 and point this out. This is the story of two men ultimately when we get to the final verses of this chapter, one who accepted responsibility for his life, his calling, and the message that God gave him, and the other who refused to accept responsibility for the message that God gives to him through the Apostle Paul. And so here we are again in verse 16 once more. Paul says, herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God. 
It matters what he thinks. I have a responsibility to God. And he says, and toward men. And I'm, not, I'm going to be void of offense in, in, in my responsibility toward them. So verse 17. Now after many years, I came to bring alms to my nation and offerings. Whereupon certain Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with multitude nor with tumult, who ought to have been here before thee, and object if they had had aught against me. Or else that these same here say, if they have found an evil doing in me while I stood before the council, except it be for this one voice that I cry standing among them, touching the resurrection of the dead, I am called and questioned by you this day. And when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, he deferred them and said, when Lysias the chief captain shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. In other words, we need some more testimony here. And when it gets here, then I'll hear this matter more fully. So verse 23. He commanded a centurion to keep Paul, let him have liberty, that he should forbid none of his acquaintances to minister or come unto him. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness and temperance and judgment to come, Felix trembled. And this is his response. Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. The Bible gives even more information here. He hoped that money would have been given him of Paul, a bribe, that he might lose him. Wherefore, he sent for him the oftener and communed with him. But after two years, Portius Festus came into Felix's room and he took his place. And Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. And Felix is no longer a part of the story. And so let's say a word of prayer tonight as we get into these thoughts. Lord, I, I pray that you would speak to our hearts tonight. You've already moved amongst us, Lord, through the fellowship and, and through the music tonight. Lord, I pray that we'd finish the day strong and find application in our hearts tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The series we've been in has to do with the idea of personal responsibility. And part of that process of being personally responsible is asking the right questions. Not asking questions like who, when, or what. Uh, I'm sorry, who, when, or why, but questions like what and how. What can I do? How can I make a difference? Th it's, it's my responsibility to do something about my life and the world that I live in. Responsible people understand that they are to blame when things don't go right and when good is left undone. And they humbly accept blame. Well, it's difficult for us, isn't it? But that's what responsible people do. They say, look, good is left undone. Maybe I did, I'm not doing something right, or maybe I did something wrong. I accept that blame, and what can I do now? And how can I help? And what difference can I make? Those are the types of questions that responsible people ask. If things are going to be different, they are going to be different because of me. It is not the responsibility of other people to make the world a better place. It's my responsibility. And when we all say that, and when this church family adopts that into our culture, it's our job to make the world better. It's our job to make our homes better. It's our job, my job, to make this church better. When we all think that way, we are on the path to the greatest success possible. One man said we are response-able, meaning we have the ability to control so much of our happiness, our effectiveness, 
and it could be argued even the circumstances that we find ourselves in because our lives are the sum total of the choices and the decisions that we make and we have, we are response able. We can choose and we can respond to the things in our life. And when we think that way, our lives get better and the lives of those that we love as well. In the text tonight, there are two men. One who says, I am response able and the other who refuses to respond, to, to respond in the way that's appropriate, and he does not. Yesterday we were out passing out tracks, and I came across a, a, a door, and this gentleman was coming out of his house. We had a great number of people at Outreach yesterday, by the way, and I want to thank you for that. We were really just doing well, I think, with our tracks this month. And uh, I hope you got your count card in today. I was, I was a little frustrated to hear that Ben might escalate things by the blinking purple lights. And so let's not make him do that. Uh, we'll get those count cards in tonight and, and this week. And so yesterday we were trying to do our part uh, with the tracks. And so we're out and I've got the kids out and we're, we're passing on tracks. And I, and I approached this one door and this man is coming to his car from his garage. And, I, you know, he was obviously on a mission. He's loading his car. And I approached him and I simply said, uh, just want to invite you to church, have an invitation here for you. Like, I'm not going to take your time. I know you're busy. And I, and I extended it to him. So he received it. And then he looked at it. He thrust it back at me and said, I don't have time for this. I don't, I don't practice. I don't believe anything you believe. He has no idea what I believe, <laughs> but he doesn't believe what I believe. Thrust it back at me and said, you know, go away. And I felt very diminished, um, very dismissed, even frustrated. And, and, and a little pity, a little anger too. Like, starting to take those situations personally. Here, here's the Apostle Paul, who's thrown into prison, who, who's beat multiple times, who's standing on trial, who his own people, his own countrymen and brethren, were in a mob trying to literally rip his body limb from limb, and the Romans had to come and rescue him because he was a citizen. The, 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 the type of scorn that sometimes we experience or rejection we might experience from someone, it, it just pales in comparison to a situation like this. Here's a man who took his responsibility before God very seriously. It was his job to share the gospel. It was his job to preach. It was his job to share with the lost world the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And he was called a crazy man for it. And they arrested him. And here, here he was. And we might look at that and say, well, that's not fair, God. This man's doing something special for you. But God had a special plan for Paul's life just as he does for us. And God was going to take Paul and the message of salvation before kings and rulers. And this is just the start of it. And here he stands before this powerful and influential man named Felix. And here he is, and he, he, he's, he's not just defending himself. Paul goes on the offense, and God knew he would do that. And he begins to witness to Felix and to all those that are present. And in verse 25 it says, He reasoned of righteousness and of temperance, and of judgment. And Felix listens to Paul. And Felix had an understanding of the Jewish faith and, of, and of, 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 of Yahweh and Jehovah because he had married a Jewish wife, the Bible says, named Drusilla. And so he already has this background of understanding. And as Paul begins to preach to him these things, Felix begins to connect dots 
And he begins to understand exactly what Paul is saying. And so Paul reasons to righteousness, not the righteousness of the law, because that's unattainable, but the righteousness that came through the person and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And Felix listens to it, and he begins to comprehend and understand. Then he preaches about temperance, what the Christian life really looks like in a world that's full of sensual pleasure and always has been, and the pursuit of personal satisfaction. The Christian was to live in a, in a world and a life that was above and beyond himself for the one who promised that he would never leave or forsake him. And then he spoke of judgment because the gospel isn't just an option that can make life better, though it is that. The background and the backdrop of, backdrop of the gospel has always been the fact that life's going to end and there is a judgment to come. And there is an eternity that weighs in the balance of the decisions that we make in this life. The gospel is the only way to escape hell and enjoy the glory of heaven and God's eternal presence. And so Felix listens. And then he becomes agitated and unnerved. And the message is moving him. Physiologically, he's having a response as he sits on the edge of his seat and he absorbs the message that Paul is preaching because he knows that what Paul is saying is true. And the Bible says this, he trembles. He's moved by the message in a physical way. And there is this moment of stirring for Felix, a moment when everything became clear, a moment when he knew that what Paul was saying was 100% accurate and it was right and it applied to him. But in that moment, there was also the tension of overwhelming opposition. Here were these Jewish leaders who had just accused him of being involved in a, in a sect, and we might say the word cult today. Here, here were these people who were putting Paul on trial for this belief that all of a sudden Felix knows is true. Here was, here was, he was charged with peace. He, he was a Roman. He was charged with the peace and, 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 and ruling these people and, and making sure that things weren't, didn't just result to pandemonium. He couldn't just concede to this message. To agree with Paul would have put him at odds with fellow countrymen, with the Jewish leaders. He knew what he should do. He felt the tension. But he decided on the path of least resistance for the moment. He couldn't say no to a message that he knew in his heart was true. So instead, he decided to push the decision off to another day. He delayed it. And he said this, instead of making a decision now, I'll make a decision later. A word that we might use is he procrastinated. He, he pushed it off. The consequences of this moment in his life cannot be understated. Felix said, when there's a more convenient moment, I will make that decision and I will pursue that course of action. But as far as we know, that moment never came. He appeased his mind by thinking to himself that he would just deal with it later. But the opportunity never came. There is a difference between those who act on what they're supposed to do and those who do not. And the difference is as great as the difference between night and day. And the advantage of a man or woman or boy or girl who acts on what they're supposed to do now 
and those who delay it and put it off, it's not just a 25 to 50% increase in difference in life, it's 5,000% or more. It's magnified at a level I can't describe. And if we were honest tonight, we would admit that there are things in our lives that we too have pushed aside by telling ourselves, I'll deal with it later. And like Felix, we put off the most important things too frequently. And we solace ourselves with there'll be a more convenient time. There'll be a better day, perhaps tomorrow. The problem is this. The more delayed a decision is, the more difficult it becomes to make. The things we put off often are undone. Procrastination isn't just delaying something because you're waiting on another person or or peace to fall into place. Procrastination is not not doing something because you're lazy. Those who procrastinate are oftentimes some of the busiest people and most productive you will know. They can be extremely hardworking. We often do busy work to mask and delay important work. See, procrastination is the unnecessary delay of something important you should do, even when you know you'll be worse off for doing so. It's the important things of life. It's the things that matter more than other things. And we know and we sense that tension. And and so to mask that we get busy with other things to mask what's really important. We procrastinate on things and decisions that we find unpleasant or that we find difficult. But it is often the difficult and unpleasant decisions in life we must make that move the needle in our lives that make it better. Not just this life, but the next one and the ones of those that we love. Most of us know the pain of putting something off until a little later. It used to be the alarm clock that we would punch the snooze button on. And now it's the iPhone. (laughs) Or whatever device you have, I suppose. Punch it. It's a little later, and then a little later, and then a little later again. Does that ever make you feel good? The answer is no. We frustrate ourselves, and we cause all sorts of problems when we put off the important. One person defined tomorrow this way. Tomorrow, a noun, a mystical land where 99% of all human productivity, motivation, and achievement is stored. (laughs) I delight in being a dad, and, and my children are growing up, and I'm going to miss some of the stories that we've read and the, and the books that, that they have. There's one um, called Days with Frog and Toad. How many of you know about Frog and Toad? Great, some great books there. Not theological, but they're good books, all right? And so if you're not familiar with Frog and Toad, this is your first foray into a Frog and Toad book. So the title of this story is Tomorrow. Toad woke up. Drat, he said. The house is a mess. I have so much work to do. Frog looked through the window. Toad, you are right, said Frog. It is a mess. Toad pulled the covers over his head. I will do it tomorrow, said Toad. Today, I will take life easy. Frog came into the house. Toad, said Frog, your pants and jacket are lying on the floor. Tomorrow, said Toad from under the covers. Your kitchen sink is filled with dirty dishes, said Frog. Tomorrow, said Toad, there is dust on your chairs. Tomorrow, said Toad, your windows need scrubbing, said Frog. Your plants need watering. Tomorrow, cried Toad. 
I will do it all tomorrow. Toad sat on the edge of his bed. Blah, said Toad. I feel down to the dumps. Why? asked Frog. I'm thinking about tomorrow, said Toad. I'm thinking about all the many things that I will have to do. Yes, said Frog, tomorrow will be a very hard day for you. But Frog, said Toad, if I pick up my pants and jacket right now, then I will not have to pick them up tomorrow, will I? No, said Frog, you will not have to. So Toad picked up his, his clothes. He put them in the closet. Frog, said Toad, if I wash my dishes right now, then I will not have to wash them tomorrow, will I? No, said Frog, you will not have to. So Toad washed and dried his dishes. He put them in the cupboard. Frog, said Toad, if I dust my chairs, scrub my windows, water my plants right now, then I will not have to do it tomorrow, will I? No, said Frog, you will not have to do any of it. And so Toad dusted, he scrubbed, and he watered. There, said Toad, now I feel better. I am not in the dumps anymore. Why, asked Frog. Because I have done all that work, said Toad. Now I can save tomorrow for something that I really want to do. It's a silly story, but there's so much wisdom and truth behind that. Toad figured out that the longer we allow things to go undone, the harder they become. The hardest things in life are often the accumulation of small things we allow to go unfinished. You see, the consequence of putting things off is always, always negative. There is no good in that. Procrastination is like pouring fertilizer on difficulty. The cost of getting things done costs something. It takes time. It's unpleasant. It requires a lot of work. It's sacrifice and it's sweat and it's labor to do those things right now and it makes us uncomfortable. But there are pains that are far greater for not doing those things because everything that we put off, it gets worse and worse and worse. When we put things off, precious time is lost. Productivity suffers. Goals don't get accomplished. Deadlines get missed. Not just that, but stress is increased. We begin to get overwhelmed and joy is taken out of life. The philosopher Seneca said, while we waste our time hesitating and postponing, life is slipping away. So much good goes undone in our lives and in our world and in eternity because of what we fail to do because we put it off. But there's also the emotional and consequently physical pain that we experience from procrastination. In the Washington Post, in an article from July of 2021, just one year ago, there's this thought that is presented. I'm just going to read a few paragraphs. They were talking about procrastination. They said, whatever type of procrastinator you are, pushing off tasks over and over again is a risk factor for poor mental and physical health. Chronic procrastinators have higher levels of stress and a greater number of acute health problems than other people. The mental health implications include experiencing general physiological distress and low life satisfaction, as well as symptoms of depression and anxiety. Those who procrastinate are also more likely to experience headaches, insomnia, digestive issues, and they're also more susceptible to flu and colds. Research suggests that procrastination is associated with sleep problems, such as shorter sleep duration and increased risk of insomnia symptoms and daytime sleepiness. Lots of people engage in revenge, bedtime 
procrastination, which describes a tendency to push off sleep to make time for personal activities. Procrastination is also linked to heart health problems. Uh, Fuchsia Sirios, a professor of psychology at the University of Sheffield in England, said in, a, in the journal Behavioral Medicine that people with heart disease were more likely than healthy people to self-identify as procrastinators. According to the study, procrastinators with hypertension and heart disease were less likely to take action to cope with their illness, such as charging their, changing their diet or exercising. And here's the point. We literally wear ourselves out by not doing what we know we are supposed to do. Okay. Acts chapter 25. Felix is presented with a truth. He sits there and he feels the tension in the room. He knows what's best for him. And it makes him sick to his stomach. He just doesn't know what to do. He trembles. Because what Paul's saying is true. And eternity really matters. And he knows the truth now. And it makes him sick. And he just he trembles. And his response is, I can't tell Paul no. I I, I can't tell him yes, I refuse to do that as well. So instead of accepting responsibility for my life and this moment, well, when there's a more convenient time, Paul, let's talk about this again. And that's what we do. And we need to deal with procrastination in our lives today. First, you need to decide on what's really important in your life that you're not doing. There may be a lot of good things you're doing, but they might be standing in the way of what's best. We know what's right, but we'd rather just busy ourselves with other things and not think about it and not work on that and not move forward in that direction. King Felix was supposed to keep the peace. He was trying to do right by Paul, by the Romans, by the Jewish leaders, and in the process he lost his own soul. He put off what was most important for things that were lesser. And there are things in our lives, like our relationships, and our service to God, and our obedience to Him. And our life needs to revolve first and foremost around these things, and let lesser things fall away. We need to focus on what's important and let those things go. And this is what Paul said. Paul's an educated man. Paul's an ambitious man. Paul could have been one of the most successful people in the world. And Paul says, I have to take the weights that so easily beset me because there's a lot of good things I could be doing. But I'm going to take those things because those things are just weights for me because I know what's most important. And so I'm going to take those weights and I'm going to set them aside so I can do what's best. Not necessarily bad weight, but things that keep me from accomplishing what matters most. Just because something is good doesn't mean it's great. It doesn't mean it's best for you. And we need to decide, hey, what's really important? And we need to center our lives around those things. And second, we need to do something small to move us toward the things that we have been putting off. We get overwhelmed by thinking of projects that need completion. But the truth is this. Things are usually not as difficult as we imagine them to be. And they don't take near as long as we imagine that they will. There's a book entitled Atomic Habits by a man named James Clear. He also has an article that he includes online that's an adaptation of this chapter in his book. 
And he, he challenges his readers to simply do something for just two minutes a day to form a habit. And he says if you standardize your behavior, in other words, you, you make a habit of it just for two minutes, then later you can optimize it. And then you can become efficient, become what you want to become. And so the idea is this, if you need to exercise and deal with your health, because that's a big deal and you can't serve the Lord and love other people if you're not healthy. So if you need to deal with your health, then start exercising for two minutes a day. And so here's a man and he starts exercising for two minutes a day. And he says, well, that was only two minutes. I could easily go five. And so what happens is we begin to standardize the behavior. And as we standardize the behavior, we begin to in time optimize it because we've made it a standard in our lives. Two minutes a day. I can exercise. Who can't do that for 120 seconds? Do it every day. and See where it takes you. You can read your Bible for two minutes a day. I'm sorry. I I get that life's busy and hard, but we can do this. We're Christians. We're called by God. We should know His Word individually. We're His sons and daughters. Let's know His voice. You can do it. You can pray for two minutes a day. You can set a stopwatch on on your phone or your watch, and you can do it. But too often we allow days and weeks to go by and we haven't said one word to God. We haven't read His Word and we haven't talked to Him. And you can do it for two minutes a day. You can pass out two tracks a day. You can. It's not that hard. Or a week for that matter. You just got to make an effort at it. You can tithe for two Sundays back to back. (laughs) You really can. Like, try it. Start there. But there are small things in life that we can do. When we look at projects, we can become overwhelmed, but they're not as hard as we imagine that they might be. We just haven't started. And we need to. We need to prioritize. We need to start. And we need to take action now. There's a story that's told of three devils. They go out to conquer the world, and the first devil went around proclaiming the message that there is no God. And even though some people acted as if there were no God, they knew in their hearts that that message was not true. The second devil announced there is no sin. And again, although many people acted as if the message were true, they knew deep down that it wasn't. The third devil was smarter than the other two. He did not attempt to change people's beliefs. He made no attempt to argue against their deepest conviction. He simply said to them, there is no hurry. And that's where we fall tonight. We know there's a God. We know there's sin. But we are lulled to sleep by complacency. And we put things off that we should be doing right now. When you experience a moment of clarity, you need to act on it. God convicts your heart through a sermon, and we sit there. We think, I don't want to go forward. I don't want those people to see me. I'll put it off till tomorrow. God spoke to my heart about getting that relationship right. I just, that just feels overwhelming to me. There'll be a more convenient day for that. God convicts your heart about some sin in your life or something you're supposed to do, and what do we do? We put it off. Don't want to deal with that right now. And we do so to our hurt. Don't let those opportunities slip by because they may not come again. Here is this moment of clarity for Felix. 
He, he literally has a physiological response to the message being preached, and he passes on it. It wasn't the last time he talked to Paul. It was the last time he was convicted when the Holy Spirit spoke to his heart and there was a clarity for him. And in that moment, he decided. He said, I'll put the decision off. But indecision is a decision. And he didn't say yes. One man said the greatest gap in life is the one between knowing and doing. It's not that we don't know what to do. It's that we don't do it. Intentions make no difference in life. Plans mean nothing. Ideas are worthless unless they are accompanied with action. You are responsible for taking initiative for the most important things in your life. For many of us, we begin our young adult lives regretting things that we've done. But then we end our lives regretting things left undone. Because there is no hurry. The love we never spoke. The costly gift or sacrifice we never made. The chance to serve that we didn't take. And I have no doubt that for all of us here tonight, at the end of life, there were things we will regret that we did not do. But don't regret the things for eternity that you didn't do. It's one thing to say, I wish I'd smiled more and danced and ate more ice cream. It's another thing to say, I never shared my faith because it was hard. What are you going to say in heaven when you stand beside the Apostle Paul? I'm not sure I even want to be near the guy because I'm not worthy. Let's not make regrets for eternity out of our lack of service toward God and love for his people. Regret of the undone is perhaps the greatest pain we will ever experience. Making decisions is difficult in the moment, but the pain of procrastination is far, far worse. See, there are things that we put off that we would instantly make us happier and make life better for us and those that are around us. I need to clean out the garage. I don't. That's figuratively, you might need to. I need to lose weight. I need to get that certification or degree. I need to get the brakes fixed on the car. I need to pay the bill. I need to read that book. And the list goes on. But then there are things that matter for eternity. And we keep delaying them to a more convenient season that will never come. I need to make an effort at repairing that relationship. I need to write that note of encouragement. I need to take my kids to the park and play with them. I need to take my wife out to dinner. I need to read God's Word and give Him a chance to speak to my heart. I need to work on my character. I need to share my faith. I need to make that sacrifice. I need to serve in that ministry. And I'm going to tell you today, what you delay will not get done. It didn't for Felix, and it won't for you. We give up so much good in life because of our unwillingness to confront the present. Felix failed to take responsibility for his decisions. Will you? Because you're faced with a choice tonight. 
or where you do business with those decisions and those things you know you're putting off. Today's the day, not tomorrow. The convenient season will never come.